Hello, and welcome to this edition of Secure Networks, the Index Packet Forensic Files with your host, Michael Morris. This week's very special guest is Timothy Wilson-Johnston, Value Chain Security Leader at Cisco. Timothy, welcome. Thanks for joining. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hey, thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Um, as you said, my name is uh, Timothy Wilson-Johnston. I lead uh, Value Chain Security for Cisco, and I sit within the Security and Trust Organization. Our role is to help drive security and governance back into all our products and offers, and to make sure as we think about our third party and our supply chain risk management processes that we're accounting for threat actor capabilities and evolving tradecraft that's happening in that space. Prior to joining Cisco, I was 20 years in the US government, doing a variety of things from cybersecurity operations to counterterrorism operations. So I'm glad to be on the show with you. Well, I really appreciate you taking time and excited to hear your expertise as advanced persistent threat expert. I know you are especially um, I want to talk about a recent big um, attack, right? The log 4J2. Why don't you share the details of the CVE and why it's so serious of a threat? Yeah, uh, great question. I mean, when we think about log 4J and its prolific nature across a lot of the industry, it was embedded in many uh, processes using Java. Right. And because of that uh, dependency and the fact that this was a open source software that was made to do for a very specific function, a lot of the security wasn't necessarily thought about how to implement that and make sure it was thought through properly. And it's not to say that there's something inherently wrong with open source, secure, open source software or security implications of that, but it's really on us as the consumers of that to really understand the functionality and make sure mm -hmm. we're brought, bringing the right security into that. And it had a high CVE score, CVE yeah. score of 10. And so we need to be thinking about those things um, as we integrate open source software in a, any of our applications um, and making sure we understand the vulnerabilities baked in there, be able to have good tracking of that and be able to remediate when problems are found. No, it's uh, that, you know, the, the breadth of it was what was astonishing to me on, on this one. And, you know, obviously we know so many apps are written in Java, so that's not surprising. Obviously, <laughs> everyone's first priority is is patching any systems they may have running it. But then what should they do? As, as I understand it, there have already been tons of botnets scanning the internet for compromised systems. And in that window of the first announcement, there's likely many other malware instances that were installed in the scanning process. But right. So what should people have been doing right around the patching, right? Or right after the patching? Well, I think most importantly, and, and this is something that uh, the U.S. government did really well when mm -hmm. you look at um, CISA and, and how they came out and really heightened the attention around this and gave a sense of urgency. And so as, as a consumer of these types of uh, uh, software or, or users of these type of software, you need to be looking in the right place to identify the importance of this and understand uh, the severity and being able to decide when to react. When we look okay. at a CVE score of 10, we'll see that a lot with a lot of different CVEs out there. Mm. But it's really about, is there proof of concept code already out there running? And, okay. and we know this can be exploited. Are we seeing it exploited in the wild? And, and do you have the right uh, threat intel to understand who's doing it and who's targeting you with that? And so once you kind of understand that, then you need to figure out, well, how do I... Uh, detect that in my own environment. And that's about having good supply chain, software supply chain inventory. 
But then how do you prioritize what you're mediating? So you might okay. obviously focus on internet facing first um, and then look at internal facing uh, uses of that. And so for you know a company like Cisco, we might have areas where all of our offers to our customers, anything internet facing, that's gonna be our first priority. Mm -hmm. But if we're looking at like our lab environments or we're looking at other environments, that might be a secondary priority to go shore up. So you have to do some triage on how you deal with these vulnerabilities. Okay. The other important thing to highlight is uh, the focus of this one was on version two, um, but yet there was an RCE for uh, version one dot uh, almost 10 years ago, and no one was talking about that. And so as you think about adversaries starting to look at a uh, current version, you have to also think retrospectively because if they have already had a proof of remote code exploitation, they could go back and you go after that older version. Okay. No, that's that's tremendous insight. And in fact, I had that discussion with our, our teams on a blog I had written about it, uh, Log4j2, right? So the, right. the versioning did matter there. Yes, it did so, matter. Yeah. So what are some other examples of, of threats or malware that you've heard or seen as a result of the initial vulnerability? Well, so as we all heard, a, a lot of this is being exploited uh, by nation state adversaries and they're trying to take right. advantage of this vulnerability. And you know, whenever a vulnerability has come out as a, uh, a hyper focus and they know patching is happening, adversaries are gonna go try to mm -hmm. you know, go after that vulnerability immediately and make as much hay as they can. And so, Thinking about that and then uh, and then thinking about the global context of what's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now, and we know Russia has targeted Ukraine before mm -hmm. as part of their uh, their cyber operations, their their policies, holding Ukraine at risk, holding the rest of the world at risk for doing business with Ukraine. We have to be concerned with spillover of any cyber activity that could happen in Ukraine that affects the rest of the world because, you know, uh, looking back at, for example, NotPetya, a clear targeting by Russia of Ukraine's uh, tax uh, service, but had global implications because of everyone who did business with Ukraine. And so and when we think about the current context, we have to mm. think about that. We're not, it's not an isolated cyber war uh, in a lot of these aspects. Right. And so that's the thing that worries me the most. And so there's a lot of advice out there right now by DHS uh, uh, CISA about shields up. And so other, uh, you know, obviously U.S. government um, and is recommending that for U.S. And I think other government agencies are going to recommend, recommend the same thing, that they need to go shore up and know that there's a chance of uh, cyber spillover from this uh, war that's happening right now. Okay. No, tremendous insight there. Taking a step back from this threat, what what does this type of threat in such a common component mean for software or hardware vendors and, and their SBOM, right? Their software bill of materials. Yeah, this is again about good inventory and good accountability of what is in your development environment, what's in your operational environment, and, and having a way to catalog that and immediately identify that. So in Cisco, we have a process wherever we bring in third-party software mm. that we run it through an evaluation process, uh, one, to know what's in it, but two, to have an inventory of it. So if a vulnerability is identified in the future, we immediately know where we've used that software, whether it's in 
an offer or, or a product that's going to a customer or whether it's in support of Cisco operations or run the business uh, sense. And so that's really important is to have that good inventory and good accountability to immediately go find where you have that in your environment. Uh, the other important thing is making sure you have good versioning control, because again, as we talked about, version two was the main problem. But if you had version one, you should also be having a, a program or process to remediate that also. And so you need to know what where, where that version is throughout your whole environment. No, that's that's the important piece. And, and versioning is such a hard problem, right? Because you have so many components in your in your applications, in your hardware solutions, uh, and maintaining those version controls and, and the updates there um, can be a real challenge, right? Especially exactly. with some of the legacy systems out there. That's right. I, I expect there'll be many more of these types of vulnerabilities in the years ahead because of the amount of you know, open source code and, and code reuse, right? Are there yes. safeguards or ways to prevent this? I mean, prevention is obviously the ultimate goal, but, you know, right. again, as we talked about, um, good inventory and detection is the primary goal. So you need to have a way to understand what's in your environment and how to detect that immediately. So that's about having good application visibility, mm. about having good network flow uh, visibility. So mm -hmm. if a vulnerability <clears throat> is discovered in a host, um, do you have the right you may not have the right ability to detect it on the host, but do you have the uh, ability to detect it in your in your network sensors um, as it tries to beacon out to different infrastructure? Um, having that third-party software risk management process, as we talked about mm -hmm. um, early on, is how do I inventory what's coming in, do an assessment of that, and track that in a repeatable process? Um, and, and really making sure that you have good software maintenance status, you know what where your software is, yeah. what version you're at, have you gotten to the latest version? A lot of times we'll know what software we, where we have in our environment, but not the version. So you have to have that good inventory. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have a plan once you detect it on how you're gonna isolate it and remediate it. And so that's about having, again, good uh, endpoint visibility, good net flow to understand where something could be beaconing out, good DNS security and understanding if it's touching uh, malicious domains and being able to immediately isolate and remediate wherever that uh, instance might be in your environment. Okay. No, it's important to the software maintenance thing. This is definitely making a case for uh, keeping current on all your maintenance <laughs> uh, exactly. agreements and things like that. So speaking on the vendor side, how do vendors need to adjust or you know, rethink their approaches in the development process? Are, are they going to have to bring everything in-house and, you know, stop using, you know, code reuse? And, and you and I were talking in the kind of the pre-discussions and planning of this of, you know, even repositories like GitHub um, are out there for organizations, right? Yeah. So how do, how do things like that play into the vendor side and development? Yeah, great question. And it really does come down to having a, known good environment for your engineers and developers to point to. And so you do that first evaluation to bring in things from the external internet, open source uh, libraries, and bring them in through a process that they can be evaluated. You can do the uh, vulnerability scanning of, you can understand how to build the bill of materials, and then be able to point to known good uh, binaries, known good source code. So mm -hmm. you're always pulling from the right repository and you're not just allowing 
your developers or engineers just to pull something off the internet. And so you've got to establish that um, that alignment, that program, um, and that, uh, you know, really pointing to a good registry for them to go uh, to. So one of the things we're doing is developing our own internal Git so we can make sure that's where you know good is and, and point our developers there. Okay. No, that's, that's an important piece. It's just the amount of, you know, code sharing and platform platforms out there to, 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 you even share applications that to interconnect, you know, connectors of applications and things like that. So it, it becomes a, a very snowballing complex problem for IT administrators, I'm sure. So exactly. exactly. So looking forward, you know, ask uh, all of our guests to kind of be a prognosticator of uh, key things to look out for. What's one thing you you'd recommend to our listeners to really, you know, pay attention to or think about over the next six to 18 months um, in the ever-shifting battle for cybersecurity? Yeah. I mean, I think we see when we look at what's happening with the executive orders, we look at supply chain risk management as a whole. It's about understanding your third-party ecosystem and okay. understanding the security that you've implemented or aligned them to because you're creating these transitive trust relationships when you work with these different third parties. And you're bringing them into your environment and you need to understand the security implications and make sure you've bought down that risk. And so if you don't have a good understanding of why they're in your environment, mm -hmm. a good understanding of the uh, transitive trust relationships you've established with them, what type of IP do they have? Uh, what uh, services are they bringing to you? Um, then you really don't know the risk you're buying down. And so that would be the thing I would encourage. And, and it's, it's a growing concern among a lot of our customers is how are we managing the third-party risk of our vendors, our suppliers, our subcontractors. And so that's about having the right curriculum and, uh, and, and um, responsibilities that you drive into those ecosystems where you can monitor them and hold them accountable to your program of good supply chain risk management. But at Cisco, we do this in a variety of ways. Uh, one, with our different manufacturers, we have mm -hmm. um, ways of auditing them and holding them accountable to our, our uh, master security specification that has 200 uh, controls in it uh, across 11 different domains. Uh, we do that through our contract language and making okay. sure that they are meeting our um, agreements and how would we do uh, secure uh, development lifecycle. Uh, we do that in a, you know, third-party risk assessment with outside vendors to assess that, continually assess those uh, subcontractors for third-party risk. So there's a variety of ways you can right. do that. But that to me is the key moving forward is good third-party risk management. No, great insights, Timothy. I really appreciate always talking to you. I always learn a variety of things in our conversations. Uh, thanks for joining and sharing your insights and how to better secure networks. We'd ask our listeners to tune in next time for another edition of the Endace Packet Forensic Files. For more information about Endace's network packet capture platform and our integrations with our fusion technology partners like Cisco, uh, please go to endace.com. Timothy, thanks again for taking the time and sharing your insights. Great catching up, Michael. Talk All to right. you soon.